0: Hello, my name is Sue Ditta, and this is the Electric City Culture Cast. Every other week, the Electric City Culture Cast takes you inside Peterborough's arts, culture, and heritage scene, simply one of the most vibrant anywhere in the province. Our magazine format features interviews with rising stars and emerging artists. We take you behind the scenes at a wide range of arts and culture organizations in the downtown community and on the Trent campus. We delve into the issues that people are talking about, bring you up to date on the latest news, reviews, and happenings, and provide you with information and advice on what to see and how to advance your own arts practice. We broadcast every other week on Trent Radio, and all of our shows will be available as podcasts. Hello, my name is Sue Ditta, and this is the Electric City Culture Cast. We're coming to you today from the studios of Trent Radio. You can find us on the radio dial at 92.7 FM. And I have in the studio with me today two of my favorite people in Peterborough, two of my favorite men in Peterborough. They are both poets, Justin Million and Gordon Johnson. And welcome, gentlemen.
1: Thank you. It's good to see you. Hello, Sue.
0: And at... If at any time during the broadcast you feel like breaking into verse... Please go ahead. <laughs> I also want to give a big shout-out to Mauricio, who works with Trent Radio, and he's also on the board of EC3 and Peterborough Independent Podcasters. He's been our producer for the last half of the series this year, and the series you're listening to is called I Am an Artist, and EC3 has been working hard this year to bring Peterborough's best and brightest and most active artists to the airwaves on the show and on a podcast that will be available on our website just shortly after this show airs um, on Wednesday. So two great poets here, very different um, artists, very different approaches to poetry as an art form, uh, different generations. And I thought we'd start out today just, um, this might be a tough one, but I'm wondering, Gordon, if you can tell us, what was the first poem that you read that made you think this is something special, and I think I'll pay attention to this for the rest of my life?
1: Oh, what was what moved me as uh, as a kid as a poet? Poetry. I don't know. Uh, it was surprising to me the other day to find a notebook that my mother had filled with poems that I wrote <laughs> when I was very young. Oh, lovely. Um, which will, in fact, you know, be burned before. <laughs> You know, I die. Um, but they they were where I began, and when I look at them, it must have been ballads. It must have been, you know, Scottish ballads and, and romantic poets and so on, because they are, I mean, they are extremely bad, but they, in fact, imitate, um, you know, ballad meters and ballad rhymes and so on. So there must have been something in the rhythm of, of ballads and maybe... Uh, maybe, you know, Keats, La Belle Dame, Saint-Merci. I don't remember specifically.
0: And where do you think those came into your life?
1: It's hard to say because we weren't particularly uh, a family of books, but I must have been discovering it on my own. Um, I know that by the time I was in high school, I, you know, I was very taken with, with, with different poets, with the ones that... We all love Robert Frost and Hopkins and so on. But I don't remember that those early stages. It's mm-hmm. almost as if it was just in me.
0: And started to come out. Started to come out. And you've stayed with it. Mm-hmm. So, Gordon, you've had a, a career as both a teacher and a writer. W- about when did you start writing? Well, as I said... Well, say, as, as a child.
1: As a child, I wrote. And then, um, I think the first poem that is, in fact has survived the perverse poem that i think is a real poem started up in my first year of university i mean the, the first version of it was then and it was it was because my best friend in high school uh, when he was in grade 13 and i was in 12 uh, shot himself It was a horrific kind of blow, a kind of unaccountable experience that took a long time to absorb, and I started to think about him and write about him and wrote a poem about him. His name was was Gordy too, so he was Gordy B and I was Gordy J. And so, felt pushed, felt hurt to write down something about him, you know, to just to, to recall things about him, the things that I loved about him, and to sort of acknowledge his death. And so that's I guess I was hurt into poetry at that point, which is an entirely different source than the one I just mentioned.
0: So that's a a deep psychological pain that you're working through. Justin, how about you? Uh, Where are you from originally?
2: I'm originally from Peterborough, actually. Um, But you wouldn't know it because when I was about 20, I left. Uh, I left for about a decade to go to Ottawa. Um, I did my undergrad there and my master's degree in English Literature at Carleton, and um, yeah.
0: And did you start writing in university or before?
2: Before. um, I guess I'll go back to the question about, you know, the the poem that you read Mm. that inspired you. I was already writing, like Gordon said, it was already in me for sure, um, but it took until a few teachers in the city, if they're listening, I'll, I'll name them, Frank Drum and Joe Webster, and Terry Collins, all at St. Peter's. Um, I remember I walked into the library at St. Peter's, and I found a book, and I can't remember what, I believe it's called, oh, I'm going to forget now. I can't remember. But Terry Collins, who was a teacher of mine at the time, was published in the book, and he mm. was, so he was the first published poet mm. I knew.
0: So that would be pretty impressive.
2: That was very impressive, yeah. and he went to Carleton to do his undergrad, so I thought, well... What better place to go for a young aspiring poet? <laughs> um, that's all I made my decision on.
1: And you were—you felt like you were an aspiring poet already.
2: I felt like I was. Terry Collins actually—again, it was in me already. And I was reading garbage, like you know Jim Morrison's garbage poetry, and <laughs> um, you know that one tarantula by Bob Dylan. And I—I I was young, um, but then I was exposed to. I remember the first time I read the country north of Belleville mm-hmm. by Al Purdy, mm-hmm. and that was in Terry Collins' class. Um, and we had to do a comparative paper, um, so I used Gordon Downey's Trick Rider from mm-hmm. his amazing Coke Machine Glow record and, and compared it to um, Country North of Belleville. And I think that's where the can-lit passion... Like, I was staunchly can-lit forever, up until, I don't know, the last five years or so. Like, I would read nothing but only Canadian poetry. We were the best poets in the world. Um, mm-hmm. Nobody was writing writing better stuff.
0: I could start from a worse place. Absolutely. Yes.
2: Absolutely. Um and so and and again, so I was exposed to Al Purdy and then exposed, like Gordon said, you get exposed to Frost and and Whitman and whatnot. But when I got to university, um I I wanted to take all the Cann courses I could. So mm-hmm. you get exposed to Irving Layton and Louis Dudek and Ray Souster, um, guys that aren't necessarily as highly anthologized. Well, I guess Irving Layton is, but Somebody like Ray Souster, you get to know some of the more working class Canadian poets. um.
0: Which I think has been a real strength of Canadian poetry um, in relationship to a lot of other places.
1: So you had the advantage of growing up in a kind of Canadian lit world, you know, which, which I didn't. I mean, my generation was before that one. And so we grew up with the English poets and maybe the American poets. And so I had to discover... Canadian poetry later, I mean, you know, I, I came to it later on, so I think that's a real advantage to have a sense that the place where you are has been and can be imagined.
2: Well, and you get a sense of the landscape, like you you start to you start to relate the writers to their geographies, so, you know, Irving mm-hmm. Leighton and Louis Dudek and all those guys, but going between Montreal and Toronto, you have Bowering in the 70s and the Tisch, Tisch Group, um, so you start to understand how Uh, you know how different poets would inspire or just you know uh, turn other poets on
0: and and so you're you're starting out with that group of poets who had such a strong sense of place Mm -hmm. and identity grounded in place and, and in specific locales and that's have you had a continuing influence in your own work that way?
2: When I, I mean, when I came back to Peterborough, I, I had done event organizing and whatnot for poetry readings, um, in Ottawa, and so when I came back I wanted to do something like that, um, but I wanted to, uh, I, I had no, um, I had no real, uh, uh, concept, I just, I knew I didn't want to do the, do the traditional reading method, so I started Show and Tell Poetry Series, which is still happening to this day, but, the show-and-tell poetry series started just kind of taking wh- whatever poets I could get in the city because I would, I'd come back after a decade and didn't know anyone. So I would walk from Ashburnham and down downtown, start hanging out at the Garnet, the only, all these kind of hot spots, the spill, R.I.P. the spill. And uh, you start to get to know some people. Um, and then they turn you on to other people. Um,
0: so when did that series start?
2: That started um, almost five years ago now. Um, it would have been in July of 2014, okay. I believe, and we started at Curated uh, that Melinda Richter used to run in uh, Charlotte Muse. Mm-hmm. Um, but now the series has taken just to get back to kind of the regionalism aspect. The series um, I'm calling it hyper local series. Mm-hmm. Um, we are only inviting poets from the city, um, and but I think it took you know, just kind of taking whoever was willing to share their voice, to share their ideas for a few years. Um, And then people started contacting me. Uh, People started, you know, poets started to come out of the woodwork. Like, I would do house calls. Like, I, I would, honestly, I did a few house calls to try to get people to come in and read in the series. Like, I went to their house and begged them. Drag um, them out. Uh, yeah, in public. drag them out of their basement. So you know, are these poets
0: shy or do they lack confidence in their work or
2: I think there's a lack of confidence, um, yes, be, because um they don't usually have a place to happen. Okay. Um, so this
0: was new, a new experience.
2: Right. And and if there's if there's no kind of cohesive scene which you can have in a in a town our size, in a city our size, you can have one. You don't have to have little cliques or, you know, outfits. Mm-hmm. Um, It is possible, but I think um, a lot of people then were either just writing on their own. Uh, There was no regularly recurring, or just recurring, uh, poetry series other than the good work that the Poetry Slam Collective people were doing. Mm -hmm. Um, But there was no page poetry scene, really. Um, there, There were a few small things happening. Um, Obviously, a lot of great writers in the city, but again, nowhere for them to kind of happen.
0: And for other people to experience the work. That's right. I think that's one of the things that always intrigued me about poetry the most. And I, I was telling Gordon and Justin just before the show started that... I think my first exposure to professional artists was to poets in a series that um, Autonomy College put on that Sean Cain organized at Autonomy College. And it would have been that early generation of Canadian poets, mostly men coming, um, but they were great orators. Um, and I think that can be a huge leap for some poets. How do you move mm. from the page to the public performance? Gordon, how, how has that been, been for you? Did your Has your teaching supported that? Was it hard to, to do that?
1: The relation between page and, and,
0: and, and, performance? and yeah.
1: performance? Yes, I think teaching must be a part of it. I think maybe... Um, you know, a, a theatrical experience as well does it. That is the sense that that uh, the poem can be dead on the page, but it can be brought to life by someone who knows how to read. And so, not all poets are good readers. Is that <laughs> fair to say? John That's Stewart? extremely fair. To say. <laughs> um, and but it's important, I think, that the that the poems be heard well. And so, yes, I would say my teaching and and maybe some of the teaching and the the theater experience has been a part of. So what?
0: Tell, I mean, I know your theatre experience, but tell us a little bit about your theatre experience. Well,
1: I haven't done it for a while, but when I first arrived in Peterborough, I was a part of the Theatre Guild stuff and, and part of Theatre Trent as well, and so did some directing and some performing um, f- at both places, Theatre Trent and, and uh, the Theatre Guild.
0: So I just, Gordon, I'm going to ask you one quick question. You talked about ballads being a clear um, influence when you were writing poems as a young kid. Tell me, if you can, a little bit about the trajectory of your work. Like, if you think of your first mature pieces, things that you were proud of, what what were they like, and where's your work now?
1: I uh, haven't thought in these terms, Sue, so it's probably good for me to do it. Um, other than that poem I told you about Gordy, I don't remember anything that I wrote as an undergraduate, which is probably just as well. <laughs> um, then... Once I started teaching here, I was suddenly in the middle of a project, I don't know how it happened, um, that ended up as a book called Inscription Rock, in which I was trying to imagine the North Shore of Superior, because that's where I grew up. Mm -hmm. I needed some way to think about it, and to think about it historically and visually and so on. And so curiously, I invented... Uh, a voyageur-type figure whose brother was Auguste Mariette, who was the great Egyptologist. Mm. And I ended up constructing a double story. One, Auguste Mariette actually was the author of the story that that, uh, Verdi based his uh, opera Aida on. So I have uh, Auguste Mariette, and I have the Egyptian story from the 17th dynasty, and I have uh, Mariette's brother, this Invented figure, and so it was a way of trying to get at the North Shore, really through the the pictographs, which I related then okay. to, the, to the hieroglyphs. So that's a very curious place to start in a way, and I haven't really gone back to anything like that since then. Um, the poems since then um, came from different places. Um, i could never really account for them they happen when they do i don't know whether that's you know true for you justin as well but but often it's on a walk or it's like two in the morning and you can't sleep and you know you've got about Twenty lines, and you think, "Well, now I have to get up because I'm not going to remember them." So they just come when (laughs) the midnight poet, the (laughs) midnight. That's right. Or, or the walking poet, and there Mm -hmm. are lots of famous walking poets Mm -hmm. where you can get about twenty lines, and you think, "Well, I better get home (laughs) because I'm (laughs) not going to remember all of these." And so, so poems just started to happen and and um, and be collected, and so on. Um, And so they got collected um, in in a book called Small Wonder. Mm-hmm. Um, Great book. Oh, thank you, Justin. That <laughs> <Get> small wonder. <laughs> um, that, in fact, got published by Little Fish Cart Press, which was a group of, of, of my students who started their own press, uh, Jeremy Dawes and, and Josh Trotter and Gabe Foreman. Mm. Um, and so they put together this collection for me and talked to Don McKay into, into editing it. Um, Don McKay.
0: Uh, yeah, Don McKay. Don McKay, and I love that story. So it was your students in your English classes formed their own press. They did, and they yeah. published one of your books.
1: They did. That they did. It w- I was enormously grateful because, having been busy with teaching, my poetry career had sort of stalled. There were all these poems, mm. but they they needed to be sort of gathered and and approved. And and I've sort of continued in that way.
0: Since. That's so important to know because I think lots of artists, not just um, writers, but visual artists and theater people, uh, I- that can be a problem. You want to do the teaching, you need the money to do the teaching. You love inspiring that new generation, but it can really, you know, put a, a block up against your own work. Absolutely. Justin, I wanted to ask you because we talked about performance and having that confidence to read your work aloud in front of other people, but your practice and one of the reasons i've been so interested in your practice is it takes that performance notion to a whole other level so i wondered if you could kind of describe to people the the keyboard performances that that you do
2: sure so uh, um uh, keyboard started out as again uh, somebody had asked me actually sean conway Uh, down at the Garnet, asked me, uh, do something weird, or he told me to do something (laughs) strange, uh, because I explained to him that I didn't want to do a regular kind of literary thing. Um, But I'd always wanted to do something with a typewriter. My friend Cameron Anstey had given me a a nice uh, Smith Corona um, uh, electric, uh, and I'd always wanted to do something with it. So I thought, well, what I'll do is I I developed this idea called keyboards. I would call it keyboards, the event. And basically what it would be is me on stage. Um, On the typewriter, kind of eavesdropping on the crowd, um, trying to take words or bits of of phrases, conversation, and turn those into poems that I would write live on stage. And then I would read them right after uh, writing them. No edits. I, I came with no previous information or notes or anything like that uh and then that's, I that would... takes huge courage to do that. <laughs> it <doesn't laughs> well it was it wasn't easy the first little while um that's for sure um because i mean you're you're kind of in a sense walking into the lion's den for a lot of poets like it's mm-hmm. a it's a bar um a self-proclaimed dive bar at that full of regulars who really just want to sit and hear their own voices rather than yours Uh, So you have to get their attention. Absolutely. And so by including them, though, I found by including them in the art that is being performed, all of a sudden, even if you're being heckled, it's with love. Even if you're, you know. um, And so, uh, honestly, after a while, a lot of people who had no love for poetry at all would come. um, And it became a bit of a thing to do. Like, uh, I was always surprised when I would look up from the typewriter and there'd be, you know, 30, 35 people in the bar um, it was an easy event to attend in the sense that you didn't have to pay attention. Mm-hmm. Um, unlike a, you know, a, po- a traditional poetry reading where you have to sit and be quiet for 45 minutes to an hour. Um, because I would only insist that you listen and I would have a bell beside me. So I would ding the bell when, when I was done, done yep. writing. I'd stand up and read. And that's when I would ideally command silence or at least a little bit of it. And then after I was done reading, I'd put the poem on a stool uh, just in front of me, and people could come up and for a small donation, they could take the poem away if they liked it and Usually, people will come up and take the poem away if they were included, of course, right did,
1: did it always work or did you did you have uh dry spells or not?
2: uh oh yes, there would always be, there would always be dry spells some i mean because I was doing it on the last Sunday of every month, so you know let 's say that like there were a few times where i I just got off the bus that afternoon from Toronto. Mm. Um, and you have an hour or so to go home, shower, get your typewriter, go to the bar, and then be a genius for two or three or five or six hours. Well, that's not, <laughs> like I like to say, they're not all winners. Um, but so I was numbering the poems, and I got to poem number 500 in wow. sep- in August, and then I stopped. Okay. So the series is over. I figured I'd stop when I got to 500, but my friend Cameron Anstey, who ironically, wow, I never thought of it this way, who gave me that typewriter that inspired me to do it, uh, he runs Apartment 9 Press in Ottawa, and he's actually going to publish a keyboards book, trade book. Great. Books, uh, that'll be out likely in August or September. So it will include, actually, the poems that no one took.
0: Okay. Because uh, you
2: know, <laughs> I put them on the stool, and sometimes people wouldn't take them. So it's, I, I'm pretty sure it's the only trade book in Canadian poetry history that's filled with rejections. Rejected poems. Lonely poems. Yeah, lonely, lonely
0: poems. just um, I'm just going to follow up, if I can, a little bit on that. So... I think for people who live in Peterborough, that's a very iconic event. It's a fun event, but I think it's also really helped people come to appreciate poetry, to feel more comfortable around poetry, and to understand how artists work. Right. Can you talk a little bit about how those experiences have influenced or relate to your page poetry? And I don't... Do you have a new book coming out?
2: Um, no, I don't. Um, but, I mean, the, the trade book with with keyboards will be coming out in the late, that one. The late summer. Yep. But I am working on a new manuscript. It's completely different from a lot of the things that I would write at keyboards. Okay. Um, because, again, at keyboards, there was no editing. Um, mm. you, you would just kind of, if you made a mistake, like, I would sometimes X out things on the typewriter, mm-hmm. uh, kind of old school redacting. Um, but... I, I would just I would just push forward. There, you just have to reckon with what you already have. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that sense, I think it's important that a lot of people in the poetry scene um, saw what it was like to fail or to struggle, mm-hmm. um, and that was one of the reasons why I started Show and Tell Poetry Series. When I was doing it at the beginning, there were interactive stations. Um, so I wanted I wanted it to be one poet who would bring in notes and rough drafts um, yes. again to show that. It, 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 traditional poetry reading, if you're sitting and watching David O'Meara read, who's one of the best poets in the country, you're like, why can't I do that? Well, you you have to understand that he's been doing it a long time, he's curated his material for this reading, and he's a great reader. And that all took time, and reading the room, and reading the country. Um, So... You you understand that, but David O'Meara, if he were to come and do the old show-and-tell poetry series kind of format, you would see his failures laid out, mm. or his struggle, his the fact that it's a craft. You can't just
0: pick it, it up and do it. It just doesn't magically appear on a page.
2: The quality doesn't, but mm-hmm. you can start writing at any time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that the typewriter also turns people on, just in terms of, it, by virtue of the like, what is that? What's that sound? There's
0: something <laughs> visceral a- right. about it. right. Do you have a new work coming out, Joe Gordon?
1: Uh, yes, I do, or yes, I hope. The uh, the, the latest uh, book that I've put together is a series of three sequences. Um that just evolved, and uh, I've had expressions of interest, and I don't feel prepared to say any more than that right now. <laughs>
0: expressions of interest are good. And Justin, your your work outside of the keyboard performances, the manuscript that you're working on, can you tell us a little bit what it's about, or is it um, too sensitive?
2: No, no, I, um, it's uh, something I've been working on for a few years now, but I've been sidetracked by doing organizing the series and doing keyboards and whatnot, so I'm finally coming back to it. Um, basically, I've been uh, reading a lot of uh, kind of high science that I don't pretend to understand, like you watch a TED talk about quantum mechanics and whatnot. i mm-hmm. um, trying to kind of pick out something about that related to something observational, uh, something kind of in our everyday lives to kind of bring this high-minded science down mm-hmm. so that we realize that, you know, this stuff um, might sound all, you know, like sci-fi, and uh, but it's happening to us, uh, whether we want to believe it or not. Um, you know, like mice regrowing limbs, you know, and the and the possibilities of that in in, in humans. Like that's not too far away. <laughs> I don't think we really think about stuff like that too much. Unless um, we've read a lot
0: of Margaret Atwood.
2: That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and
0: then we've thought about it way too much. Too scary. <laughs> that's right. Um, I have this sense that poetry is kind of having a renaissance or a revival in Peterborough right now. When I was a student, it was really hot. There were all kinds of poetry groups. We went to readings regularly. Is that true? Is that happening?
2: I would I would say so. Um, and I think it's because of a lot of good work that a lot of really good profs are doing at Trent, for instance, um, like I'll point out, Jeanette Platana and Rob Winger specifically. Rob Winger was a prof of mine at Carlton, so it's kind of mm. funny that we both ended mm. up landing here. Um, I was actually in his very first fiction class when he was nominated for the Governor General's Award for his amazing yeah. Mybridge's Horse.
1: I just had a note from him about Chicken Scratch. Have you seen that as well?
2: Yeah, Chicken Scratch, the first year uh, poetry publication. Um, Rob is Rob is organizing that. There's also Absinthe Magazine there mm-hmm. that I believe will publish poetry. There's also a new Zora Magazine.
0: That's a feminist.
2: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, and oh, am I
0: forgetting Peterborough that? presents?
2: Oh, I, oh no, that's me.
0: That's. that's oh, me. I want you to talk about that. A <laughs> oh, bit. show
2: and tell poetry <laughs> series. Yeah. Um, oh, and Bird Buried Press. Uh, Bird Buried Press. What's Bird my, Buried Press? That's my uh, lovely partner's press, Alicia Rubishaw's press, um, and Kay. we uh, we we only publish uh, writers in Ontario. Um, we are, we had an open, uh, uh open submissions for a while and we overrun. Mm. Um, mm. but again, now it, it's felt like with show and tell and bird press for instance that, like I've been saying lately, it's kind of felt like for the past few years, we've been going uphill and now it's starting to go the other way. People are starting to send, come to you. people are starting to come to us. That's fantastic. Um, which is, that's all you can ask for.
0: We only have two minutes left. I know, Gordon. You want to say something? Then I have one Uh, last question.
1: Okay. I just want to give a little bit of historical context to the sort of the poetry scene, and and uh, give a nod to Betsy Struthers because Mm. I can't remember how many years ago, but Betsy got a bunch of us together at at Trent and said we need some organized way of bringing writers to the community, and she was interested in. So writers' reading was created at that point largely through her initiative, and it was always devoted to local writers as well as. And BL, she's huh? a very fine and well-known writer very. herself. Oh yeah,
0: absolutely. Uh, I have one last question and then because I, I have to make an announcement. If I'm someone who maybe read poetry in university and uh, it's kind of drifted away, you know, I'm mostly reading novels and nonfiction and watching fantasy series on Netflix. <laughs> if there was one poetry book people in Peterborough should read this year, oh what would goodness. it be? Oh my goodness. What's your go to volume these days? Buy a
2: Peterborough writer? Sure. From this year? Yeah.
0: No, no, I don't mean it has to be published this year. Just what should they start with? Oh my
2: goodness. Gordon
1: Johnson's Small Wonders.
0: Gordon Johnson's Small Wonders. It's a great book. Where can we get that book, Gordon?
1: And you can't even see me twisting his arm. (laughs) Um, I would say the best advice is to get a good anthology of Canadian poets, and there there are a number of them around, Mm -hmm. and just flip around and just find things you like that gets you started that gets you cracked up
0: go to hunter street books and chat with michelle berry she's got all kinds of great great books and great ideas i want to thank you both for coming into the studio the time goes so fast we could have easily done an hour and we're wrapped up two of peterborough's most interesting engaged and just lovely human beings as well as excellent artists you know Poetry, I think, I'm going to say something corny, I don't care, soothes the soul. Um, We need a lot of that right now. Mm. And if you want to be part of recognizing a favorite poet, I hope you'll go to the Electric City Culture Council website, just Google that, and uh, check out the Peterborough Arts Awards. Nominations are due in about a month, and um, it's a multidisciplinary um, awards program, $2,000 cash award for best emerging Best mid career and senior artist living in our community, and also best Indigenous, outstanding Indigenous artist. And cash is always great, but really having the recognition of your community, it's a peer jury that makes the decision, I know from talking to many artists is important. So please check it out and nominate your favorite local poet. Thanks to you both. Good luck with your work. Thank you, Sue. Thanks, Sue. And thanks, Mauricio and Trent Radio. Watch for the podcast on our website, and tune in again soon to the Electric City Culture Cast. Bye.